Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Surprised to see me. What's going on, everybody? It's your man, Eric Wilson. Usually I'm on the sports arena, but tonight I am filling in for not only John, but also JB here on Sideline Sports, the flagship show of the network. So good evening to everybody. Um, As always, we got a great show to get into. Let me go ahead and get the man, the man who runs all the background stuff, handles us with it comes to technology. Our man is Jake Malik, who is right now, I'm sure, chomping at the bit as his New York Rangers are in game four of the Eastern Conference Finals of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So if we see Jake move around tonight and get animated, just know it's not because he's mad at John. It's because his Rangers actually either did something really good or they let something slip through their uh, fingers. So, Eric, I'm sweating bullets, man. I'm sweating bullets. (laughs) We also got our man joining us, our man Jay Nelson, back with us, man. He was just on the sports arena last night. He's here on Sideline Sports tonight. This brother's got a lot going on this week, man. You're going to see him pretty much almost every day. What's up, brother? How are you? I'm, in, I'm everywhere like bill collectors, like sideline sports. How you doing, Eric? <laughs> I'm well. I'm well. Hey, rent is due. Come see my man, Jay Nelson, because he need to get paid. So let me go ahead and welcome in our special guest this evening. Uh, this gentleman is the play-by-play announcer for the Atlanta Hawks and the Atlanta Dream. He is partnered with... Hall of Famer Dominique Wilkins, a nine-time NBA All-Star. And he has also served as the play-by-play announcer for the SEC football games on FSN South and the ACC College Basketball and Football Games. This is Mr. Bob Rathbun. Bob, thank you so much for being on Sideline Sports. How are you, sir? Hey, guys. I'm doing great. How are you all? Very well, very well. Doing great. I can tell Jake is dying a thousand deaths. It's one nothing Tampa Bay, and the Lightning are on a power play, and he's dying. I can tell it uh, by his face. Bob, you know it all too well. I was saying before the show, we were hanging out backstage, and I was saying to you and Eric and Jay, and said, you know, I, I, I originally when they were in the playoffs and they were doing everything, I was like, you know, just win the first series. They win the first series. All right, they win the second series. Man, you guys are overachieving. I'm so proud. Just win one game in these Eastern Conference Finals. I'll be happy. I don't care. We've overachieved by so much. We go up 2-0 in the series, and now the thoughts of, oh, well, you never know. Anything could happen. Maybe they'll win this year kind of starts creeping in my head, and it's it's killing me because it went from <laughs> tempered expectations, just enjoying what they're doing, being so proud, elated as a fan, to now I'm proud and elated, but also sweating bullets, freaking out, getting so nervous because at this point <laughs> anything could happen, and I just – I would, I would love nothing more than to watch them win it all. Nothing more. And at this point, the thoughts are creeping in. And I'm like, ah, stop it. I don't want to think that way right now. <laughs> so, Bob, uh, let, let's talk about your career because uh, for our viewers and our Sideline Sports Network family, if you wouldn't mind just taking a couple of minutes telling us just a little bit more about, you know, where you got your start 
and just cool. working in the Atlanta market, what that's like. Yeah. Well, it's very exciting. Uh, my story is rather unique. Uh, I grew up in a small town. And you still got me? Okay. Yep. So, yep. Yep. Still good? Still good. We're losing you a little bit. We got you. Still good? Okay. Uh, I grew up in a small town in, in uh, North Carolina, right between Charlotte and Greensboro, Salisbury. We good now? We're good. Are we okay? Yeah, we got you, Bob. You got us? Yeah, we got you. We okay. got you. You're good. Uh, I I do. It keeps uh, the pictures uh, drop in and out, but I want to make sure we're, we're okay. Um, so I at the age of 12, got to do a half an inning of a baseball game. And it was just a lark. I was keeping stats for the guy, and and he let me do a half an inning. And lo and behold, our first baseman hit a home run that night. And so that's how uh, my career started. And I grew up working for the newspaper, working at the radio station. I went to college full-time and worked full-time in my hometown and loved every second of it. And I knew the day I walked into that radio station, this is what I wanted to do. And I've been at it ever since. I worked uh, first for that station. Then I worked in Norfolk, Virginia for 14 years, got into cable television when cable TV was coming on the scene in the 80s. And then I went to Detroit, did baseball there for three years. And then we moved to Atlanta in 1996. And I did the Hawks, still do the Hawks. And uh, for 10 years, I also did the Braves for our network. So a lot of college sports. I've done the ACC for 36 years. Um, it's just been a blessing. Uh, it's been great fun, and I I love every second uh, to be involved with it. It's just great. That's great. So, Bob, real quick, I wanted to ask you about it. Um, you, obviously, you just mentioned you've been in sports in general for a while, but I, I know you primarily are in a lot of basketball, uh, and we're in the NBA Finals. It's that time. Two games have been played. What have you seen? And what are your predictions for the rest of the series? It's been an interesting series. I, you know, I'm saying the same things you guys are saying. Um, you know, it, it Boston, because we play them all the time, uh, it, it's a little perplexing uh, to follow this team. How they can look so good one night and so bad the next night is rather baffling. Uh you know, they have laid so many eggs in the playoffs. You know, game six at home against Miami, when you figure they're going to close it out. Um, but, you know, they've, they've been able to win, I think, eight road playoff games. You know, they've been much better on the road than they have been in their own building, which is, like, crazy. When you talk a team, I, I don't think that they're, a, you know, a great team, a dynasty team by any means, but I do do wonder why they change up the way they play when the way they played in game one was so successful. They have the kind of team that when they are in attack mode, they almost cannot be stopped. But when they start to slow things down and here come the turnovers and everybody starts going one-on-one, -on -one, it's like, what are you guys doing? Uh, I think they're a very good defensive team, uh, but times they get off the rails um, it's, it's crazy. Um, and, and for Golden State, you know, they um, they got on this roll here once they got everybody back. And uh, they're kind of trying to run it back, the, you know, the dynasty years of a couple of years ago. But as you guys have seen, Clay Thompson is not you know, back to where he was. You know, God bless him that he, he is doing what he's doing. Uh, but for Golden State, I think to win this series, he's probably going to have to have one of those Clay Thompson games where he goes off because Steph just cannot carry the entire offensive load every night for this team. So that's kind of what I'm seeing. How about you guys? I, I like what I'm hearing. I mean, I, I, I would agree. Um, yeah, I mean, the Celtics, you make a good point. It's funny. They, they feel like Jekyll and Hyde to me. And that was what I've been seeing. I feel like a lot of the playoffs, you're right. They're very much a team where sometimes it feels like, oh, let's show up today. Let's play. Let's go. And other days they're yeah. like, nah, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like playing right now. But at the end of the day, um, the one thing that I can always say about them is they're a fantastic defensive team. Uh, and they prove that time and time again that when they, 
when it when it comes to crunch time, they take care of business, and that's their biggest thing. You know, yes, they should have won Game Six against Miami last series, but guess what? It didn't matter because they somehow managed to come into Miami and win, which was even that's harder. Why they made it hard for themselves, I don't know, but that seems to be the way Boston plays. But again, maybe, and, and to me, my immediate thought is maybe they play better with their backs against the walls. Maybe that's how they 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 play. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But they're uh, you know they're a really great defensive team no matter what. Uh, and truthfully, I think they match up well against the Warriors because of the way they can play defense. I think that oh, was they do. one thing they that do. I was worried about with Miami. Miami doesn't play that kind of defense, so I think they match up well in that respect. Jay, um, go ahead, man. Get in but there. You know, uh, <laughs> The other thing I, I, I just wanted to say is that they're so much bigger than Golden State, and it doesn't really come across that well on television, but if you were right. there to see it in person, uh, you would be amazed. I mean, they're bigger than Golden State at every position, and over the course of a seven-game series, I think that is a huge advantage for Boston. Absolutely. You know, um, you've done this uh, for a very, very long time. And um, everyone just kind of, you know, remembers, you know, you do something long enough. Of course, you got, you know, a lot of stories, a lot of throwback memories and whatnot. Uh, could you share, like, I guess your first great memory? Uh, it could be within your, your first couple of years when you first got started. Your first great memory, memory it could be like a ball game that you uh, covered or, or, or I mean, it could be anything. First great memory, like in this industry. Well, you know, I get asked that question often. Um, JB and and it's um, there haven't been for me anyway the great games there have been moments in games uh, you know I don't have any rings from the Hawks so I'm still waiting for that great game uh, from uh, for us but uh, I I just have so many great memories of certain events that happened. And stuff that happened to me that meant a lot wouldn't mean a hill of beans to anybody else. You know, broadcasting my first NCAA tournament game uh, was a huge thrill to, you know, to call the national uh, championship on uh, tournament on CBS was a great thrill for me uh, to do the events that I did at ESPN. Uh, I did the College World Series. I did, uh, you know, the women's final four, um, college football, you name it. Um all those things meant a great deal to me, but there wasn't that, you know, bottom of the ninth inning grand slam home run that I got to call uh, that stands out. But from my time here in Atlanta, I must say uh, five years ago when we won 60 games, uh, that was about as special a time as I've ever had broadcasting. You know, we won 17 in a row. Uh, the entire starting lineup was the player of the month in January. That's never happened before or since in the NBA. We put four guys on the all-star team. And had we think we would have gone to the NBA finals. Now, I don't know if we'd have beaten Golden State. Uh, who knows? But I think we would have beaten LeBron, which would have been monumental, you know, for this organization. It's sort of like when Neek and Bird had the shootout in 88. Had Boston won, uh, excuse me, had Atlanta won over Boston, it may have changed the course of history for this franchise in Atlanta. So I thought that's kind of where we were with the 60 win team. Uh, but the best part about it guys was watching the entire city of Atlanta come alive around a basketball team. You know, the Hawks were this thing when Nick was rolling in the eighties, but it had lied dormant, you know, for two decades and, and that team brought it back. And just to see everybody in town, everybody's watching every game. They're packing the house every night. It's exciting, like you can't believe. It was such a unique team, the way they moved the basketball. It was just great. And so, to me, that was a, the number one career highlight. That's awesome. That That's really – I mean, that just speaks to a memory uh, that, you know, a lot of people, they want that behind-the-scenes, like, experience. And, and, and being in your position, calling the games that you've called and being in this industry for as long as you have, it's just really amazing to hear that. But I want to ask you about the first ever Arena Bowl that you called <laughs> with uh, with Corso. Right. I, you got to tell me about this. Yeah, we got a call. Lee and I did in the summer of 1987. And you got to remember, back then, ESPN was still in its infancy. You know, they didn't have Major League Baseball. They didn't have the NFL. 
uh, college basketball was still their number one staple. And they came up with this, and the, the guy who owned the league, Jim Foster, brought them this idea to play arena football in these in these hockey arenas, basketball arenas, uh, with a 50-yard field, nets in the end zone, and craziness. And ESPN thought, man, this is going to be our summertime sport. This is going to be fantastic. So they hire Corso and I to call these games. And as we're putting the thoughts together about what we're going to do, I uh, remember now, this is 87. This is prior to the internet and you know cell phones and a whole nine yards. So you had to research the old-fashioned way. And it's the summertime. And so I get with Lee on the phone and I said, well, is there a media guide? Is there a, uh, you know, how about a rule book? You seen a rule book? I said, no, we don't have any of that stuff. I said, well, you know, it's probably a good idea that we go to the, they had one exhibition game to test everything out. I said, we probably ought to go to that game and see what we, what we're getting into. And so we go to, to, uh, Rockford, Illinois, and watch this. And so help me, they are still putting it together as we do this, okay? So long story short, we get to Chicago, and it's opening night, and we've got both coaches mic'd. It's the Chicago Bruisers against the Denver Dynamite in the first arena football game ever. ESPN, now remember, they want to get to Sports Center at 11 o'clock. They budgeted two hours for this football game. That's what they thought it was going to be. We're on the air for three and a half hours. They are pulling their hair out in Bristol, dying, waiting on Sports Center, and here we are with this game. So the the game begins, and it's like if you just put a, some carpet out in your driveway, that's about the padding these guys had to play. And we're at the Rosemont Horizon. I don't know what they call it now, but – it, it is like you're playing on concrete. And so help me, they throw a long bomb, Chicago does. This kid catches the ball in the end zone, dives, kills himself, but he makes the catch. Now, this is the like the third play of the game. And Corso jumps up and starts screaming. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, that is the greatest play in the history of arena football. And that's how we started. The game goes overtime. It lasts forever. They they had an overtime rule that they changed like during the game. We didn't know. And so both teams got the ball and you had a chance to win. It was like a complete joke. So we've got the, the Denver coach, Mike, and they end up winning. And it turned out to be a guy who like is one of the greatest coaches in arena football history, uh, 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 Tim Markham. And we go down and say, well, Tim, you just won the first arena ball game in the in history. How does it feel? And so help me. He says, well, Bob, I, I think the other team gets the ball back one more time to see if they can score. I don't think the game's over with yet. So that was our introduction to arena football uh, that long night in Chicago. And that's how it started. It was nuts. The, the league owned all five teams. I'll tell you a story. So you all familiar with Mouse Davis, a legendary football guy. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, yes, yep. yes. He's in charge. They've hired him to be in charge of player personnel. Now, remember, the league owns every team. They got one carpet, and they run it around to all five cities to play a game. And Mouse is in charge of all the players – assigning them to every team and you played both ways. You know, you played offense and defense, except for the quarterback and the kicker. So they had this massive tryout in Chicago and they're trying to divvy up where all the players are going to go. So they have an open tryout. And at the end of one of the days in Chicago, here comes this guy riding a motorcycle to the, like the high school field where they're holding the practices and he drives up, and he's – I mean, it was right out of central casting. He's got the jeans, 
the dirty T-shirt, the leather jacket, the helmet, the whole nine yards. And he pulls up and he says, I'm here for my tryout. He said, well, I'm sorry, sir, but you know, we're kind of done for the day. Could you come back tomorrow? He takes off the helmet. He says, I've ridden this bike from Oakland, California to Chicago. I want my tryout. And he gets off the bike. He's a big guy. He said, yes, sir. So they put the cones back out. And he said, you got any gear to change into? No. Uh, well, just do the best you can. So he runs through the cones, and they time him. And they say, look, he's a pretty good athlete. Why don't you come back tomorrow? We'll do this for real. We'll get you all set. So that night, they are putting the rosters together for all the teams. They get to the Pittsburgh Gladiators. And Mouse says, all right, Pittsburgh, you're short a fullback slash linebacker. Uh, you got anybody? Did you, did you see anybody? He said, well, how about the guy on the motorcycle that came in late? He looked pretty good. He said he's a fullback. So on the very first Arena Football League depth chart, second team linebacker fullback for Pittsburgh is the biker. That <laughs> goes up because nobody got his name. <laughs> that's what we were dealing with. It was hysterical. But wow. that was my summer of arena football. Oh, my goodness. That's crazy. That's crazy. Hey, Bob, really quick, I want to ask you, because, um, I, you know, I was, as always, as we do here, we like to do our research on people just to get some information. Can you talk to me about when you were awarded the, uh, the Hall of Fame for North Carolina in 2006? Talk to me about that moment and just what that meant to you. Oh, gosh. Um, well, I think anytime you're recognized with something like that, um, you don't know quite what to say. Uh, it, it, it took me aback. I was flabbergasted. Um, it was it was quite a moment because you think about all the people that helped you along the way. You know, um, none of us in this industry do it by ourselves. Uh, we've had so many people in broadcasting. Uh, coaches, players, uh, athletic directors, administrators, you know, we all stand on their shoulders when you, when you get something like that. So it was a, it was a very big moment for me to be recognized. And uh, later I was recognized by Catawba and uh, state of in Virginia sports hall of fame. So it was, it was really uh, pretty special to me and a very, very humbling, I must say. Awesome. That, that's really great. Guys, anything before we uh, let Bob take off here? I know he's excited to watch the rest of this game like Jake is. So uh, you guys <laughs> don't want it. Still won nothing, Jake. Uh, for now. <laughs> All righty. Ladies and gentlemen, Bob Rathbum, like I said, he, he is the play-by-play announcer for the Atlanta Hawks and the WNBA Atlanta Dream. Hey, when you see Dominique, please give him our best because we would love, if he has the opportunity, We'd love to have the opportunity to have a great Hall of Famer such as him on our show. We'd love to have you back as well when the Hawks are playing. We'll get sure. into Trey Young and that whole squad next season because yeah. we know well, they're an up and to, coming. We've got a very interesting summer ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Uh, they, they were punked by Miami. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how they react to that. Are they going to make trades? What are they going to do? Are they going to try to get in the free agent market? Are they going to? Draft somebody, trade. I mean, there's a lot on the table here for these Hawks. So it's going to be a very interesting couple of weeks for sure. I think their but, next move, we're going to have to call you right back and say, Bob, we need you on the show. They made a move. We got yes. to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. talk about yeah. it. So we're gonna we're gonna see. I think they're going to be active. I can't imagine them running it back uh, with this group after what happened. Just my guess. I don't know that. I have no inside information, but uh, I just got the feeling that they're making some hard decisions about where to go with this ball club forward and we'll see. And I will tell Dominique for you, I'll tell you something interesting and we'll close it on this note. Sure thing. I broadcast Dominique Wilkins when he played in high school, when he played at the university of Georgia and when he played in the NBA. Wow. And now he's my partner on the broadcast, That's awesome. the That's human amazing. highlight film. That's yes, nuts. Sir. Isn't that You've crazy? With him the entire way. The entire way. He was a junior in high school in Washington, North Carolina. And my team ended up playing, the team that I broadcast for, ended up playing his team. 
And his team had a bunch of guys that looked like Dominique Wilkins. And my team had a bunch of guys that looked like me. And so uh, we didn't do so hot uh, against Dominique. But uh, I did him in high school. Then I did an NIT game in which he played in at Georgia. And then uh, at the tail end of his NBA career, I did not come until after Nick was gone from his playing days here in Atlanta. But he's been my partner. We've been together 12 years now, and I love him. I love him. He is just the greatest. And he's probably, guys, the most accessible superstar Hall of Famer I think I've ever seen. Uh, he does not wow. turn down a picture, an autograph. Uh, he loves kids. So great. We did an event over the weekend together at a basketball camp. He was phenomenal. And on the street, and he hadn't played a game in 30 years. And he is as popular today as he was when he played. And it's because of who he is. He's just a great human being. Nice. That's awesome. No doubt. No doubt. Bob, thank you so much for being on Sideline Sports. We can't wait to have Guys, you back. You got like it. we said, as soon as there's some breaking news with the Atlanta Dream or even the Atlanta Falcons, <laughs> we're calling you to have you back on the show. <laughs> or the soccer team, the United. Yeah, we got it all covered. Oh, Absolutely. Oh, yes. Why not? Yeah, exactly. All the way around. All right, folks, okay, we're going to take a real quick Appreciate break. You. When we come back, we're going to do some more talking, and we're going to see how Jake's feeling here. Back with Sideline Sports in just a moment. If you have a business, company, or product, and you want to reach the right audience, contact DBNA Television. DBNA TV reaches over 100,000 viewers a month and has advertising plans for all budgets. You can see your ads running on Roku TV, Amazon Fire, On Demand, and dozens of other top platforms for only dollars a day. Call our advertising sales department between 10 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday at 484-695-5187. That's 484-695-5187. Make the call and then watch the results. It pays to advertise on the DBNA Television Network. back to sideline sports the flagship show of the network here on a tuesday night you man eric wilson filling in for jb ellis and john Shear, alongside our brother who is biting his nails and twitching and jumping up and down it is the end of the first period and the lightning are still up one to nothing and we got our man jay nelson back with us so jake i mean listen we we, we touched on this last night on the sports arena and i'm gonna ask you the same question uh you know because for everything that you said, there was, you know, the Rangers are playing with house money, in my opinion. So let me let me turn to my man, Jake, and just simply say, Jake, do you think that the tide had the momentum has shifted to Tampa with their win that they had the other night? I don't think so. I don't think I don't think any team had the momentum. I, I, I think to begin that by saying the Rangers had momentum, I don't think that that was accurate. I think they were good at home. And that's what they are. And I think that's what both teams are going to be. I think this series is going to come down to who steals one on the road, if anybody steals one on the road. That's what it is. I don't know that there's momentum. Uh, I think it's simply that these teams play really well at home, and they're proving it. The Rangers just played amazing in game one. And truthfully, that was, I believe, just a result of the fact that um, you know the Tampa Bay Lightning had nine days between games. They came back much better in game two, uh, a close a close win for the Rangers. But again, they're great at home. They did what they do. Um, and then, you know, they, they played well on the road the other day in, in game three, but the Lightning better at home. They won. And the Lightning, again, looked better at home. They're playing well. Um, like I said, I think it's going to ultimately really come down to who can steal one on the road if someone can steal one on the road. Um, Tampa, I've said from the beginning, I believe is the better team. Eric, you said the exact words I would have used. House money, man. Anything at this point is is icing on the cake. We're winning two games 
in the in the Eastern Conference Finals, that is incredible. And truthfully, at this point, anything could happen. The way the teams play at home versus on the road is drastic. So I don't sit here and say that the Rangers don't have a chance in this series. They do because of the way they play at home. That's the only reason. Um, so we'll see. But ultimately, to answer your question, do I think the momentum shifted? No, I think the momentum shifted, if you will, when they switched from you know being on the road to at home, when they switched who was at home versus the road. That's That's the momentum shift, if you will. That's what it is to me. Not anything more than that. Okay. All right. And mm. we would talk Western Conference, but I mean, Colorado closed it out. So congratulations to them. They are heading to the Stanley Cup as the Western Conference uh, team. They're representing the Western Conference and, you know, we're in game four here. So, Jay, let me come down to you and ask you this question, uh, because, again, we talked about it last night and well. we always say that a, a series doesn't truly start until a road team wins. So I'm going to go off of what Jake said. Do you anticipate, with the exception of Game 7, throw Game 7 out the window for a moment. Okay. So between tonight, Games 5, and Game 6, do you anticipate a road team picking up a road victory, or will both teams defend home ice until we get to Game 7? I think that... uh, uh there will be one road victory uh, in this series, excluding Game 7. And believe it or not, I think it's going to be the Rangers. You know, uh, one unspoken characteristic about an underdog is sometimes an underdog doesn't know that they're supposed to beat you. You know, uh, especially one who hasn't made it, who who isn't used to making it this far. And I hear everything that Jake was saying, but, you know, you also got to keep in mind that this is a team that was not expected to do much. And they just went up two to nothing. I know it's two to one now, but they just went up two to nothing on the defending two-time champions. They have there has to be some sort of momentum there. You have to have some sort of momentum going to have a hashtag no quit in NY. You see what I mean? And so I think that I think that uh, if if a road team wins, it's gonna be the Rangers. I think that the lightning, I don't think this is a case of the lightning falling asleep. This is a case of them getting punched in the mouth. And that's what tends to happen. That, that, that's what the, whether they come out of the series or not. You're going to run into that team that's going to punch you in the mouth, and it might be a dogfight, you know. Uh, but if anyone can get it done, it's the Rangers. I, uh, I can see the Rangers uh, stealing one on the road if it comes to it. Okay. All right. Okay. Time wow. will tell, and we will definitely see how it shakes out. You know, when I look at this, listen. As you pointed out, and, and Jay, I've been saying it even in the previous series, they don't call it Champa Bay for nothing. And when you're the two-time defending champs, you know, there's a level. There are fans rocking right now at the arena, even though it's only, you know, first intermission. They're sitting outside. They are waiting to see what happens because they anticipate that, you know, Sam Kos and Kucherov and Marone they are going to do what has already been done, which has won them Stanley Cups, plural. So, you know, time will tell and we shall see. Uh, you know, let's transition over, gentlemen, to the NBA Finals, which are actually, you know, we're going into a very – I know everybody always says game five. It's the pivotal game five. It's the – you know, that's, that's, that's the game. I think game three is going to set the tone – for what we're going to see in this NBA final. So, Jake, I'm going to come to you and say, when you look at Boston, when you look at Golden State, I don't know if I've heard your prediction. I know Jay's prediction is Warriors in six, as is mine. What is your say with regard to the Boston-Golden State series in the NBA finals? I'm saying Warriors, but I'm just taking seven just because Boston, as per usual, wants to make things as difficult as possible. That is what they are amazing at. That is, I was, when we were talking with Bob, that's what I was joking about, but it's kind of how they play, right? Last time against Miami in the last series, they had a chance to win at home, which would be the, you know, the quote unquote easy option, if you will, right? That's the, the definitely the easier option, regardless of, uh, you know, uh, just winning in game six versus winning a game seven. But when you're at home and it's game six, that is by far the easy option. If, if you got to win a game, I would much rather win at home 
But because Boston likes to make things extremely difficult for no reason, that is probably the only reason uh, I, I would say seven. And <laughs> I say that a little bit as a joke, but that's that's how they are. Um, they, they they are an annoying team. And I say that because defensively they they're really they're they can shut you down. Uh, the way Clay is playing again also is making me a little nervous. Which is, I mean, I have the benefit of of seeing two games before I'm making this prediction. But um, you know, before the series, I probably would have said Warriors and six. I think that would have been realistic. But having watched what I've seen, you know, seen what I've seen and know what I know, I'm going to say Warriors and seven. I think the Celtics are a good team, but they're kind of they don't belong there either. It's the same kind of kind of deal. They're not not I don't know. It's not to knock them. They're not bad. They're they are a good team, but they were not the best team. And I don't believe that anybody believed they were truly the best team. But they're the hot team. That's what they are. They're playing well. But I think ultimately the better team, being the Warriors, are going to come out on top. But I'm going to say this now: if Clay Thompson doesn't wake up, they may be in some trouble because I can tell you now, Steph is great. They have some solid depth. But you absolutely need Clay to show up because if he doesn't. It's mostly just Steph on that on that opening five. It's it's mostly him going out there and putting a most putting out most of the work. As opposed to the Celtics have a little bit of a tandem going with Tatum and Brown, they would be in a better position if Clay doesn't show up. But I'm I'm going to say I think he shows up. Okay, Jay, let me come to you because I want to kind of I want to kind of take what Jake said, but I kind of want to twist it a little bit on this one. Okay. So Jake is saying that Boston always puts themselves in the worst position. They make things harder on themselves than the way things should be. Let me let me present this side to you. Roll with me on this one for a minute, okay? Mm-hmm. You know as a team that it's going to be not one standout. It's going to be a collection of everybody doing their part. So with Boston – is it about making things harder for themselves or are they just trying to wear down the other team knowing that at times Tatum has to step up, step up. Brown has to step up. Marcus Smart has to step up. Al Horford has to step up. You know what I'm saying? Do right. they kind of wear the team down knowing, listen, as long as we do what we can do and get our victories, we know game seven – We've got it in reserve because we haven't put all of our energy out there. We've right. kept some in reserve going to a game seven. I think when you're Boston, you can afford to do that because they were the number one defensive team. And when you're a number one defensive team, the object of a defensive team is to wear down the opponent. We've seen it in every sport, in football, in boxing, in basketball. So with that being said, Boston can afford to do that. So on this one, I'm going to take option number two because, like you said, they know if it comes to a game seven, they they know, okay, now we can cut the nitro on on this one, you know? And by that time period, the other team – they're somewhere between tired and, man, we shouldn't even still be playing and Boston's going around and punching them in the mouth. Now, you know, with the Boston Celtics, and you brought up an interesting point. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh-huh. This is a pivotal game three. And it's a pivotal game three, but mark my words and I'll say this. Game three will be less about the Warriors and more about Boston. This is either going to be a testament to their character or an indictment on their play. You see what I mean? Because oh, as of, time out, time out, time out. I need you to say that again for everybody in the cheap seats because you just dropped a dime right there that I don't think people heard. So, Jay Nelson, I'm going to give you the full screen. I need you to say that one more again. Gotcha. Game three is going to be less about the Golden State Warriors and more about Boston. This game is going to be either an indictment on uh, on their character or a, a testament to their play. Reason why I say that is this. Everybody inside the city of San Francisco has game one as a fluke. We're the Warriors. They don't do that to us. And if they did, oh, it's just going to be one time. It's going to be on Tatum and company to prove, uh-uh, this was not just the one and done. We are who we are for a reason. Yes, you are who you are, but we're showing you and we've shown everyone why we are Boston. 
With that being said, it's all hands on deck for game three. I still think that they keep the same strategy. Again, don't put everything out there. Use your defense and wear them down. Play your game. Take care of the basketball. I cannot stress this enough. You cannot start off behind the eight ball. We've seen what happens when you do so. Boston has been granted uh, the best road team, but they also take care of home very well as well. Um, but game three, game three is going to be pivotal. Uh, Eric, I totally agree with you when you said that. Game three is going to be the pivotal one. It is. Because you're back at TD Garden and you know Celtic fans, they are not only vying for a championship, but the one thing that maybe some people know and don't know is if you look at the number of championships that teams in the NBA have, their arch rival, the Los Angeles Lakers, have 17 championships. The Boston Celtics have 17 championships. Boston is like, we are going, this is our moment. This is our time. It has always been Lakers-Boston, Lakers-Boston. You know, we can go down the list of superstars that have come from both of those teams. But that has been the one thing. It's been, well, y'all got 17 championships. Well, so do we. If Boston is to secure championship number 18 and do it against the next, you know, I'm not going to call them a dynasty. But again, six NBA finals, eight years, three rings. You can't ignore what Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, you know, the whole entire squad, whether KD was with them, whether KD wasn't with them. They had Iguodala. Now they've got Jordan Poole. They've got Wiggins. So, I mean, there's always that talent that is there on the Golden State Warriors. When we think of playoffs, especially in the Western Conference, the measuring stick, and for my opinion, has been the Golden State Warriors. If you can find a way to beat Golden State, then guess what? You got a shot. But it, 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 for Boston, it's like, capitalize and seize this moment and for guys like marcus smart and jalen brown jalen brown and jason tatum al horford and that and that entire crew it's like we have a chance to be top dog and bring championship number 18 back to boston take take back that lead yeah yes it's gonna be something truly to watch tomorrow night so let me ask you real quick gentlemen then we'll take a quick eight second break who do you have winning game three? Jay, I'll start with you. Hmm. <clears throat> game, this game three, I think, is actually going to be closer than closer than people think. You know, game one was odd because Boston went into the fourth quarter down 12, and then they won by 12. <clears throat> Stranger times. Uh, and game two. It was like, you know, Boston was there until that third quarter. Seemingly in the playoffs, the, th- the money quarter has been the third quarter because that's where Golden State does it. I think that if Boston can take care of the basketball and not let Golden State be Golden State in the third quarter, I think Boston actually comes away with this one because, as I said last night on Sports Arena, it's going to be a, a rowdy TD Garden crowd. And they feed off the crowd uh, very well, just like any other team. I'm going to give game three to the uh, to the uh, home team on this one. I will say, and I know a lot of people like to say, well, if you if you keep Golden State under 100 points, you'll win the game. Well, they went over 100 points in game one, and Boston won decisively. But I'm going to take Boston 110, Golden State 101. All right. Jake Malik, sir, what do you got? I actually have to agree with what was said. To to some extent, I I agree. Uh, The logic is a little different, but I'm still picking the Celtics. I think the Celtics are going to win for really one thing that you already said, Eric, and it's really important. They're out to prove some, to say, hey, look, yeah, we won game one, but now you're going to come home and we're going to show you what's up. You come into our home and we're going to beat you not only because, you know, we didn't just get a fluke win on the road. We beat you on the road. Now we're going to beat you on our home. We're going to show you who we really are. I think that's why they're going to win. I think they are going to be a hungry team. Uh, this is a team that hasn't won a championship in quite some time now. Uh, you know, these these guys obviously haven't won a championship. Golden State, on the other hand, they've won a championship already, so they know how they got to. They they know how to fix things. They know they don't have to prove anything. Not that they won't play hard, but they don't have to prove anything. Celtics got to prove some. I truly think they are coming out at home in front of these fans. 
They're going to feed off the crowd like Jay was talking about and you were talking about. I absolutely agree, and I believe they're going to win this game. I I think they're going to win. I'm going to make the score prediction 99 for the Warriors, and I'm going to say 107 for the Celtics. Wow. Okay. All right. Their defense is going to show up. Defense is going to show up. I want to check something really quick before I give my prediction, because both of you are saying numbers that I think are are right around what the um, what the over under is. But I just want to look and see really quick for tomorrow night. What is the over under in this matchup? The over under is two twelve and a half. So yeah, okay, that's, that's about All where right. we're at. That's about yeah, it, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's about where you guys are at. Listen, I, I couldn't agree over, with you, gentlemen. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't agree with you, gentlemen, more. And normally, I'm usually the odd man out, but <laughs> based on what we saw in Game One. Knowing how hard this team has played in game two, my only reason why I'm slightly hesitant to not pick Boston is because Clay Thompson. We still haven't seen Clay be Clay. And we know that if he, not if, but when he gets into a rhythm, it's over. Splash Brothers right. are taking over. But I say all that, and I guess I'm pulling a Mike Caratanudo here on this one. <laughs> If Draymond Green wants to be Draymond Green and he gets another technical, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, that it could a lot. pose an issue. Absolutely. So let's see how tomorrow night goes. And hopefully, we know it's going to be a good game. But if I, I'm making a pick right now, I'm saying Boston as well. I'll say, I'll take the over. I think it's going to be over to 212. If I have to give a guess, I'm going to say 114-111, last three-point shot by one of the Celtics to close it out, get the victory, game three at home, go up two to one. All right? Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take an eight-second break. When we come back, we are going to discuss someone who is not a quarterback in the NFL getting paid like a quarterback in the NFL. Back with the Sideline Sports crew in just eight seconds. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I got my man, Jake Malik, my man, Jay Nelson, your man, Eric Wilson. We are filling in for JB and John. And JB and John, please, health, prayers, speedy recovery to you two gentlemen. We can't wait to have y'all back on the show. John, not so much. You can just stay home. But anyhow. (laughs) Eric, he's chirping in the comments anyway. Don't even. Oh, I know he is. You know, John never goes away. No. He's always there. Always. But, um. Yes, John, I know he needs three more techs, but one more in game three could definitely prove to be, a, if he gets a double technical and he gets ejected, that's two right there. only needs one more. But anyhow, Aaron Donald, making money. This is a man who went on the Pivot podcast. Uh, was it the Pivot or was it I Am Athlete? It was either one, I, and I apologize. But he he said basically, you know, if I don't play in the, if I don't play football again, I'm satisfied. I played eight years. I won a championship. I'm good. But he also said if he does play, he's going to play. And now it looks like this man getting that bag. Well-deserved, well-earned. But what does this mean for the Rams? Because you already know the target is on your back this year as a defending champions. Everybody's coming for you. Matthew Stafford, you left a situation that was not the best for you in Detroit. Your first year with Los Angeles under Sean McVay with a Cooper Cup, with an Odell Beckham Jr., and a defense led by Aaron Donald, not to mention you have a top corner in Jalen Ramsey. And as I said before, you are now the second team to play, host, and win a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So there is a tall order that lay before the Los Angeles Rams. So we're getting specifically to Aaron Donald, Jake. Give me your thoughts not only on the contract, but on his impact with this team. I love it. I mean, look, Aaron Donald, I I don't think it was a question of whether or not he'd get paid. If he came back, I think it was pretty clear the man was going to make some money. I don't – I. Don't anticipate anybody thought he'd make this much money. This much money, I mean, look, it is more than well-deserved. He is one of the greatest defensive players in the last 
20 years maybe. I think that's pretty fair to say, maybe more. He is just – he's unstoppable on the field. When he steps on the field, whether he's the guy getting the sack or not, it doesn't matter. He is making a – not just a difference, a, a colossal difference. That's the kind of guy he is. He's not just one of those guys that, you know, oh, we just got to cover him just to be careful. No, you got to cover him because if you don't, he will absolutely annihilate you. And he deserved every dollar that he earned, and it is great. And for the Rams, look, it's plus and minus. It's plus because you get Aaron Donald. It's minus because you spent a lot of money. And not that there's a lot of holes to be fixed, but if there's depth players you're looking at, if if you're trying to re-sign OBJ still, right, it makes it a little bit harder when you spend that kind of money. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't have spent it. By no means would I ever say that because to me – I would much rather have Aaron Donald than OBJ because of the way the Cooper Cup played and the way that Matt Stafford can make other guys play better around him. I would prefer Aaron Donald because of what he does and because of his loyalty to this team for so long. I just look at it as, look, it's a great, great guy to have back. It is going to help their championship odds, in my opinion. If they don't have him, it's a tough loss that you probably saw possibly coming. Um, the money side is the only downside, but again, he absolutely deserved it. And I think they knew they, they got to pay him. If they were going to get him back, you had to give him the money because he has more than earned it. And it's nice to see a defensive player like himself making that kind of money because there are guys like him that earn it and they don't always get that recognition. It's it's nice to see. Very true. Very true. And again, it was the I Am Athlete podcast. My apologies. Uh, I just I, I watch both of them. So I'm just I'm, I'm back and forth. But so, Jay, again, my brother, you know, Aaron Donald is one of the few defensive players that in my opinion definitely is worth the contract that he was given where do you rank Aaron Donald amongst the great defensive players in the NFL ever where do you rank Aaron Donald I would say amongst the great defensive players as of right now I've got him in my top 10, he's probably about ninth or eighth because, you know, you got the Reggie Whites, you got the Rob Woodsons, the Deion Sanders. We're talking defense as a whole, you know. Um, right. However, at the by the end of his career, uh, I can definitely see him higher, maybe sliding into the top five. In fact, definitely sliding into the top five. As far as the contract goes, you love to see it because sports fans and pundits have become ingrained in this mindset. That in order to make this kind of money in football, you must play offense. In particular, a quarterback or running back, you know? So for someone, like Jake mentioned, to be on defense and get this kind of money, you know? I can remember J.J. Watt's first big contract, and I was happy to see that, you know? But you look at him, he was a difference maker. Aaron Donald is a difference maker. He's earned every bit of, uh, every bit of that contract, you know? Every bit of those dollars. And as far as the Rams go as a whole, uh, because the Rams, uh, and I've said it, then I'll say it now, they're a super team. They were put together, not not by, you know, draft picks and prospects or anything like that, you know. They went and got signee at the 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 trade at the trade. You know, they're in win-now mode. It is what it is. They're in win-now mode, okay? And essentially bringing back Aaron Donald, it's like, okay, we got a shot at a few more of these rings. So let's get the most out of it while we still can. If we happen to bring back OBJ, that's fine. I know that Aaron Donald's in his 30s. Still in excellent shape for a guy. You know, I know we got our OBJ that no one's exactly in their, you know, third or fourth year here, okay? But these are these are guys who have been considered by a lot as superstars, no matter where they play, especially Matt Stafford, you know? And I just think that they're going to get the most out of these players as possible. And after it's all said and done, if they end up winning two more rings, I mean, was it exactly a failed project? I don't think anyone no. would call it that. So, no. I mean, I like, I, I, I definitely love what the Rams are doing. And as far as Aaron Donald goes, you know, especially since we spent the better part after the Super Bowl wondering, is he ever even going to come back? I mean, for a man to say, you know, man, I don't know. And then he comes back and he gets this deal. And it's like, you know, wow, that's a sigh of relief, you know, not only for Rams fans, but we as football fans get to see, you know, his play for a few more years. So that's where I'm at with it. Um, I, I definitely agree that he deserves that contract, every single bit of it. 
Yeah, three real, years, real quick. I just I want to add million. in. I want to add this real quick too, because Jay was saying, you know, you got to play quarterback if you got to make that money, and he's not wrong. But I'll tell you, Aaron Donald is the quarterback. He's quarterback of that defense. And yeah. you know what? It's nice to see a guy that is not only making an impact on the field because of his play, but, you know, of his leadership and his, you know, the way he handles everything that goes on. It's nice to see a guy that is a quarterback just of the defense finally get the recognition in terms of monetary value that he deserves sure. because he really does. I don't want to, I don't want to throw shade on this. Because I am in complete agreement with you, gentlemen. But we do know that he has now set the bar yeah. for defensive tackles. When you're and, that good, absolutely. Okay, but not everybody is Aaron Donald. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you're that's not all wrong. I'm gonna say. There you are there are those there are those D tackles that yes are are, are can come, maybe come close, but they ain't Aaron Donald. But you know what? So not, I just not everybody's Patrick Mahomes. Not everybody's Patrick Mahomes. Some guys are making Aaron Rodgers money. Some guys True. are making a little bit less. They're making a lot, yeah. but they're making a little bit. Right. And I, I agree with you saying, but I think that's what we're going to end up seeing probably. Right. We're going to see Aaron Donald is the Patrick Mahomes. He's the literal, the top, the absolute max. You're going to see a little drop off to your Aaron Rodgers kind of guy where he is absolutely incredible. Superstar. One of the greats. Just a little bit lower and a little bit less angle money. Just, just a little bit. And you're going to see that a little more often, but you're not, and you're not wrong. You're just, but I think that's what's going to end up happening. I think Aaron Donald's going to be the highest part of the bar. And then you're going to have TJ Watt maybe being one of those defensive guys. that's maybe just a little below on those contracts, mm -hmm. right? Just a little bit lower that helps set the tone for the guys that are more like him that are not like one of the greatest ever at the moment that they're getting their contract. Not to say that TJ Watt can't be, but just, just putting that out there. So I, I do agree with you saying though. You're, you're not wrong. That's what happens. You know what? The market has to be set by somebody, and you know what, Aaron Donald. Yeah. Aaron, I agree. That guy. I agree with Eric. Uh, I just say this real, real quick. You know, every so often in different eras, you're gonna have. That's the nature of football in its history. Is you're gonna have those guys come along every so often that set a new bar. Think about it. And we're on the topic of uh, defensive tackles and uh, defensive ends. We thought at one point in time we would never see another pass rusher like Reggie White, right? He was the minister of defense. You've seen what the man can do and everything. You know, renowned, you know? And then J.J. Watt came along. And then it's like, okay, well, man, there can't possibly be anybody. Like, J.J. Watt's just half man, half amazing. Like, the way – what he's doing. And then the, to make a play offense, too, they're doing – throwing them here, throwing them there. And, and then just uh, multiple 26 seasons, multiple DPOYs. Man, we'll never see a guy like what? And then Aaron Donald comes around. So you see what we're seeing here. And to Jake's point, it's like little by little. Because it's not like, you know, the bar is being shot way up here. It's just, a, it's just a little boom, 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 just every so often. So the next era, it'll be someone else. But right now, we're enjoying 99 on the Rams. It is what it is. It's his turn now. You're right about that. Gentlemen, this has been an amazing show. I want to thank Jake for letting me take over and host the show tonight. I know he's uh, – He's waiting to go back to watch his game. It's still one nothing with about nine and a half left in the second period. Eric, I've been um, watching the whole time, and it is painful. <laughs> painful. All right, we're going to let Jake get out of here so he can watch his show. Hey, man, shout out to our man Jay Nelson holding it down as part of the family. Like I said, check this brother out Saturday nights, 7 p.m., Gauntlet Podcast, 8 p.m. on Sundays for Basket Bros. This brother is all over the network. We're going to put a face into place. Make sure you check my brother out. And he's always got a different nickname. I listen for the first probably couple of weeks. I thought his name was really Denzel till someone finally told me, you know, his name is Jay, right? I was like, oh, I really thought it was Denzel Snipes. I was like, yo, okay, that's cool. I was like, but anyhow, for JB, for John, for Jake, myself, for Jay. Oh, my bad. Let me turn it over to my brother Jake so he can do his thing to close out the show. Jake. Where can everybody find us, my brother? Absolutely. As you see, scrolling across the bottom of your screen right now, Instagram and Twitter is Sideline Sport One. YouTube and Facebook is Sideline Sports. We are on DBNA Television. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, TikTok, anywhere you have podcasts, anywhere you have social media. I'm just telling you, like always, Eric, I know you love when I do this. Just look us up. That's it. We are everywhere in terms of social media. We are at games. We're covering events absolutely everywhere. Eric, anything else you want to say, my man? 
all over the place. That's what we do. Sideline Sports Network. Hey, everyone have a great night. We're out of here. Peace. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric cast.